Are you that weirdo with crunchy bones? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Okay. Hi. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Hello. We forgot how to do this. I'm Cassie. (laughs) And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. And uh, hello, friends and weirdos. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're not new here and you've been awaiting our return, thank you so much for your patience. We decided to give uh, Happy Hour Gets Weird a little facelift, a little reconstruction, if you will. What you might notice, it's a little bit different around here, are blocks of episodes with a common theme or thread. And that brings us to our first topic back, spiritualism. I think I was supposed to do a drum roll in between there. Can we can we get some <laughs> drum roll sound effects in the editing? <laughs> the spiritualism movement. <laughs> so buckle up, you strange little buttercup. For the next five or so episodes, we will be all things spiritualism. I am so excited to be back, and I'm so excited that we came back with this topic. Yes, me too. Tiffany for sure has a lady boner for spiritualism and I actually like it. It's very (laughs) becoming of her. Um, So the first episode in this block is going to be all about girls, girls, girls. Uh, It's women in spiritualism and we could not open a segment on spiritualism without talking about the famous Fox sisters. All right, before we get into it, I do want to mention our cocktail for this episode. Yes. And also, the kind of, not only we're going to do a theme of topics, we're also going to do a theme based on the type of alcohol we're using. So this block of episodes, we are going to use flavored vodkas. So all of our cocktails will be made using flavored vodkas. Yum, yum, Which is kind yum. of fancy exciting a little bit crazy it's kind of fun also before we get into the cocktail which I'm very very excited about mm-hmm. uh forgive me I'm out of practice <laughs> I, I meant to say this a minute ago but we decided if you're wondering why we decided to have this change in our structure with the episodes mm-hmm. we decided that if we did sort of a block of episodes we would be able to research better and put out better episodes exactly so that's our reasoning. It's for you. It's, it's for all you. for you. Everything we do is for you, the listener. So you are welcome. And we decided to drink because we like it. Oh, we already did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So this superstar of a drink that we have is, oh my gosh, it's one of my favorites. I am serving it to everyone lately. It is a peach basil vodka sour. Mm. That's like my favorite. Uh, it is so good. Combo. It's so good. So I used Sky Peach Vodka and I made a basil simple syrup. But this one is a twist because usually in a vodka sour, you use an egg white to get the foaminess. You know, it just kind of goes with like um, mm-hmm. that. But I decided to do it vegan style. And instead of an egg white, I added the juice of 50 garbanzo beans. No. Okay. So that sounds complicated. Like I juiced no, garbanzo beans. Does. I literally. <laughs> I wish people could see my face. <laughs> Tiffany 
was it was that meme with the lady with the the, the calculus. It was <laughs> trying to figure. You can milk anything with nipples, but garbanzo beans don't have nipples. Yes. So I learned the hard way. No, I'm just kidding. I did use garbanzo bean juice, if you could uh-huh. call it that. But it's just yeah. really in the can of in a can of garbanzo beans. Mm-hmm. It's just the liquid in the can. So I just used that in place of an egg white. And let me tell you. Awesome. It is even foamier. Oh my God. I need to try it. I've, I've heard of this hack. It's so but good. I haven't tried it. I'm going to. And it's vegan. And I love garbanzo beans anyways. And it doesn't give a garbanzo bean flavor, which honestly, I kind of wouldn't mind. Garbanzo beans and peaches and basil. <laughs> I mean, come on. My last meal right there. Um, and then because I'm a maximalist, I added cardamom bitters. Because <laughs> why not? You know, Why the- not? Just throw in the kitchen sink. But you could just use regular old bitters and then just your basic lemon juice. And you just shake it up and it's it's phenomenal. So as per usual, our recipes and pictures of the cocktail will be on our social media, most likely our Instagram. Um, so go over there and check that out. That'll be up for you to see and for you to use. Make it. Let us know how it went. And if you are new, please follow us on our Instagram. It's really fun. Yes. All right. So like Cassie said, today and for the next few episodes, we are talking about the spiritualism movement. And yes, I kind of do have a lady boner for it, but I'm going to restrain myself. (laughs) So for my part, I'm going to give some insight into the beliefs and practices in this movement. And then as Cassie said, she's going to be diving into the super fascinating Fox sisters. Also, I just want to say that because of the time frame that we have to cover our topics, I know that I'm going to be omitting things that you, if you are knowledgeable on the subject, may find really damn irritating. But with topics like this, compression is key to make the episodes manageable for both ourselves and the listener. Spiritualists believed that communication with the dead was possible through mediums, and their goal was to prove the soul immortal through this communication. As my main source, Radical Spirits by Anne Broad put it, quote, it held two attractions that proved irresistible to thousands of Americans, rebellion against death and rebellion against authority, end quote. Spiritualists seem to generally believe that the spirit world was not static, but evolving, and that because of that, spirits could educate the living on moral or ethical situations, which is really fascinating, in my opinion. The world of the living and the world of the dead would communicate in different ways by different means. I'll get into that in a minute. So there has been a resurgence of the spiritualism movement in more recent years, But for our purposes, we will mainly be discussing the movement at its origins between the late 1840s and the early 1920s. And my history here, at least for this episode, is primarily focused on the United States. What is known as the modern spiritualism movement began in March of 1848 when two young sisters, known as the Fox sisters, claimed that they could communicate with the dead in their upstate New York home through a series of taps and knocks. And that's all I'm going to say about that because Cassie's going to cover that more in a minute. (laughs) Spiritualists were a group of individualists. They didn't want to be organized and they didn't want to fit into society, at least at their early stages. Mm -hmm. 
they were controversial and they pushed the limits not only on spiritual beliefs, but on societal norms as well. And although the movement was definitely flawed, especially in its later years, which we will cover on another episode, the early days of the movement seemed pretty cool. Yeah, they did. I think that they were pure. Yeah. And I think that I like how they just kind of push the limits on everything. And I and I really dislike all Their the haters. People. Yes. I really disliked all the people that disliked them, which makes me in turn like them more. Yes. <laughs> I think there was in the early stages of spiritual spiritualism and I'll talk about this later there was like a very interesting intersectionality and it was the more I read about it the more I was kind of like wait a minute boner alert (laughs) (laughs) nobody that clicked on this episode that's new here expected to hear boner this many times already (laughs) I can tell you that old listeners they were ready Um, So spiritualism popularized seances, which was often how a person or medium would communicate with the spirit. So let's talk seances. And then um, we'll talk about the mediums themselves. I think that we all know what a seance is, but I will, I kind of just want to get into them a little bit more here because I think that there is a big variety in seances that a lot of people probably aren't aware of. So... I think that we all have kind of a similar picture of people sitting around a table in a dimly lit room, Mm -hmm. a medium speaking in an altered voice, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. If you want to see that, sorry to interrupt or interject really. No, always interject. If you want to see that done really well as far as in like TV, Penny, what is? Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. Excuse me. Let me interject and then fucking forget every word I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, Penny Dreadful with Josh Hartnett and Ava Green. Is it Ava Green? I think so. God, that whole cast was so fucking hot. I know. Seriously. Um, they did a fantastic seance scene a couple of times. And it was fascinating and scary. And I feel like right on the money. Totally, totally. And also, speaking of boners, that whole show. Yes. Double boner. That scored three <laughs> out of five boners on the boner scale. <laughs> That's on Netflix, by the way. I think it's still available. Ooh, I want to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a seance involved many things because there were many types of mediums. Okay. Wait a minute. All right. Is it a little ironic that we are kind of edging into feminism this episode and scoring things with boners? Should we be scoring them with wops? <laughs> That's three out of five wops on a wop scale. I was going to say hard nipples. Oh. <laughs> the wops works too. So, oh my God, we're so off on tangents already. Okay. It's been a while for us, people, and we really appreciate you hanging in there. Those first interactions with spirits came in knocks and taps, but soon there were many different types of spirit communication. A seance could involve a medium changing their voice, a planchette, which is, if you don't know, it's the little thing that comes with your Ouija board. Mm -hmm. A planchette was often used either with an alphabet written on paper, or they had planchettes that had a hole where you could insert a pencil So the spirit could like free write, which is pretty cool. 
And this was obviously before, like, you know, everybody had a Ouija board. Objects would sometimes move or disappear during a seance. Some mediums would expel ectoplasm from various orifices. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you didn't hear that right. Various orifices. (laughs) You did hear that right. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You did hear that right. Uh, An ectoplasm... I I just did a little screenshot of the Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. It was a term used in spiritualism to denote a substance or spiritual energy exteriorized by physical mediums. And we will talk about ectoplasm a little bit more later on. In the series, yeah. In the series. Um, other mediums performed automatic writing, which is that you know, I, I think we've all seen it in a horror movie where mm-hmm. they're just scribbling, scribbling, and then words start being written when they're in a trance. I love that. Uh, what what horror movie is that in? Uh, I want to say Hereditary. Oh, there is a scene of that in Hereditary. Uh-huh. But there's another one that I'm – there's another one that I – oh, The Others, I think she does – they do it in that too. It's very effective in a scary movie. It is. And I, in real life also, I don't know how I would react. Probably not well if I saw somebody doing that. But I'm a big chicken, so. You would be like, can I read this seance's Wikipedia page first, please? <laughs> because that's what Cassie does for horror movies. I do. Instead of watching them, <laughs> I wait till they come out and I let someone write the w- wiki page for it and then I read it. It's very less scary for me then but I still want to be in the know so such cheating it is, it is cheating. cheating it's cheating it is 100 <laughs> percent some mediums claim the power of photographing a ghost sometimes full-bodied apparitions would appear often of a loved one that the group was trying to contact spirit communication went from a very intimate and somewhat simple exchange to a full-on magic show or an incredible interaction with the dead whichever you believe. Many mediums were disproved, as I'm sure we all know by now, Mm -hmm. but I know there were earnest people in the movement as well. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm trying to stay impartial here. I'm trying to not get too too many WAPs on the WAP scale. Yes. Is what I'm saying. The forms of communications and the mediums, like the movement itself, evolved. The movement was definitely not stagnant, or bogged down by rules and regs. Mm-mm. That's Absolutely pretty sure. not. <laughs> Especially in those early days. In later on, it does become more structured. But in these early days, it was like a very much like a free for all. It was wild and fucking crazy. It was. The person who communicated with the other side was known as a medium, and there were so many different types of mediums. Most mediums were female, although some were male. Younger women and girls were considered the most effective and most believable. Maybe because society didn't believe a rosy-cheeked young girl would lie or that a woman would have the capability to speak the way she did while under the guidance of a spirit. Either way, mediumship was seen as very feminine. Yes, and I thought about the idea that most mediums were young girls and it could, well, During this time, you came into adulthood much sooner than children do now. Mm -hmm. So that could be 
a reason, but also it could be that, you know, the younger you are, the more you have this connection to something beyond and the older you get, the weaker that connection gets for most people. So it just could be that children or young women or, or, you know, adolescents were just a better conduit. Like when we talked, um, we've talked uh, about past lives, Mm -hmm. like how often kids will have these memories Mm -hmm. that can't be explained. And they have the memories only up until about 11. Mm -hmm. And then they start to fade away. Oh, good point. Okay. Oh, I just got like kind of a little creeped out. I don't know why. I don't know. (laughs) Probably because I'm sitting in the absolute dark. Like a fucking weirdo. Okay. What society at the time considered the vulnerable or weak nature of women was seen as a huge advantage in spiritualism. Being sensitive meant that you were sensitive to spirits or clairvoyant, for example. Mm -hmm. So spiritualism kind of took whatever society, you know, what they considered a negative or whatever about a woman and they just flipped it and they were like, that's why we're so good at this. Mm Mm-hmm. Mediums were also often female because women were more closely associated to death in those times. People often died at home and were often under the care of women when they died. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that now we're very, not detached from death. I think everybody's thinking about death all the time, but it's not literally in our parlor, you know? Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, history (laughs) repeats itself, but yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Mediums distinguished themselves by how the communication with the spirit was provided. There were many different kinds. There were mediums that conducted what we all think about when we think of a seance. Uh, People would seek these mediums out to make contact with a loved one that passed. In these cases, the spirit would typically comfort the surviving family members by telling them that they were at peace and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. During this time, about a quarter of all children died before five, I believe was a statistic that I read. So there were a lot of people looking for comfort. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had... And that's just children. That's just children. And then you had sickness that affected all, everybody. And then, you know, they're just conditions in which people were living. It was just, there was a lot of, of death. Yeah. There were... Trance speakers who spoke before large audiences, which was not normal at the time or always permitted for Mm -hmm. a woman to be a public speaker. Yeah, be in front of an audience. I mean, isn't that wild and fucking, isn't that great? Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm just so thankful for our ancestors, all the privileges that we have. Totally. Reading this book, Radical Spirits, because it, I didn't read the full title it's spiritualism and women's rights in the 19th century america and i was in a full rage half the time but it it was informative but it it was infuri like the history part was infuriating oftentimes yeah and that's what i was talking about this intersectionality between spiritualism and a lot of the civil rights movements at the time the women's suffrage and the abolition they all just kind of came they intersected and it's just what a fucking time to be alive. Seriously. It was the worst of times and it was the best of times, honestly. To quote, what was it, Char- Charles Dickens? I give it a four WAP rating. Um, <laughs> there were medical mediums. As the name implies, they dealt with healing. 
in a society where medicine and the clergy often had views that went hand in hand, meaning not exactly Mm pro-women, this was actually a very cool venture into women's health, albeit not always correct in their claims, Mm -hmm. obviously. Or the safest. Yeah. But at the very least, mediums were on the side of women. Yes. Which wasn't always the case. Yes. Uh, Medical mediums worked in different ways, some through trance examination, some through spirit doctors, some prescribed botanicals. Others would lay hands and the spirits would help the affliction. Others still would use their clairvoyance to figure out the ailment. And like all things spiritualism, it seemed pretty loose as to uh, what exactly the medical treatment entailed. And I... I could see, you know, it seems like, what the fuck, this is wild and crazy. Like, mm. but a lot of medicine at the time was kind of what the fuck, wild and oh, crazy. Oh, uh, 100%. <laughs> traditional, quote unquote, traditional doctors were prescribing opium, alcohol, kind of fun, lethal amounts of mercury, <laughs> bleedings, or sometimes it would just be like, you need to listen to your dad. Or as treatments, you so, yeah, just lick the bottom of the the two go two doors down, and get go to the oldest male in the house and lick the bottom of his shoe, and you will be cured. I mean, this is a time before doctors were required any formal training to become a doctor. Check out our quacks episode for more fun and terrifying doctor shit. That's a plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a terrifying time in medicine or to be a patient. Seriously. What was kind of cool was that these medical mediums, when they did prescribe medicine, they were like botanicals and stuff. So it was, mm-hmm. at least in that way, it was not. So it was like dandelions, which actually are very good for your heart. I tried to drink dandelion tea. Did not like it. I think you just got to pinch your nose and spoonful of sugar (laughs) and chug a giant mug of scalding tea steaming hot dandelion tea was i don't know it because it's supposed to help get toxins out or Mm -hmm. something but it's good for heart health too you know you could eat it in a salad too just yeah you can eat dandelion greens Mm -hmm. yeah have i ever done that hell no but would i recommend it a hundred percent just thinking about like my two dogs in my backyard. Do I want to eat anything out of my lawn? Probably not. <laughs> no, I had a herd of sheep here a couple weeks ago. I'm not eating any plant life in my yard for a very long time. In your time. yard, you had a herd of sheep? Yeah, I had about 15 sheep here. She doesn't own sheep. That's why this is so strange, you guys. Oh, well, I did for a while and they're gone now. <laughs> God, it's so <laughs> random. Between the sheep and the bear, you better fucking watch out. <laughs> so... That's not all the mediums. We have mediums who worked through art, music, uh, like I said, photography. I mean, basically, just as no seance was like another, every medium seemed to have her own signature style or special talent. It's kind of like podcasts. You can't fucking say that you hate podcasts because there are so many different topics mm-hmm. styles mm-hmm. hosts mm-hmm. you I mean you'll find a seance that you like just like you'll find a podcast that you like exactly perfect you just gotta look analogy that's what they say about me old perfect analogy Steve right here <laughs> okay I I love the spooky part of it because I'm like the spooky molder mm-hmm. of this group mm-hmm. actually we're probably just two spooky molders most of the time but uh I really 
love the social aspect of the spiritualist movement. I'm more, I think you would lean towards Mulder and I would lean more probably towards Scully. Oh, thank you so much. I like that. A huge piece of the spiritualism movement was the social reform the movement worked towards, especially in those early days. And I guess it makes sense. When you believe that you don't need the church's rules anymore because you have direct contact with the spirit realm, you want that same independence in all aspects of your life. The patriarchy that typifies traditional churches had no place in the spiritualism movement. Mm-mm. Go on and get. They were radicals and controversial. Spiritualists believed And when I'm saying this, obviously, I know that not every person in the movement had the same beliefs, but on a whole, the majority, Mm -hmm. spiritualists believe that women needed equality in education, in property ownership, in custody of their children, in pay, in control of their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, Spiritualists tackled the topic of women's role in marriage. They were against the fact that women lost all autonomy with marriage, including that women had no legal right to refuse their husband's sex or to prevent pregnancies. Many spiritualists believe that marriage was commonly because of familial or social pressures because women lacked self-sufficiency for the reason that they were not given the freedom to be Mm self-sufficient. Basically, they wanted marriage to be a union based on love and harmony and not on social expectation or financial requirements. Mm -hmm. It was pretty groundbreaking. The way they talked about marriage. Um, The suffrage movement was greatly impacted by spiritualists, especially here in California, Mm -hmm. where the two groups joined forces for social change. Trance speakers often spoke at women's suffrage rallies. Um, Spiritualists aligned themselves with abolitionists and worked on that social front as well. They openly criticized churches that didn't speak out about the atrocities of slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. And like I said, obviously, I can't speak to every single spiritualist in the group, but overall, they were a people that wanted change. They wanted people to have autonomy over themselves. They wanted equality for everyone, not just the few elite. And although their spiritual beliefs may leave people with doubts, uh, they were ahead of their time in many social ways. The popularity of the spiritualist movement across the United States and also Europe really can't be overstated. People from all walks of life and all social and economic classes believed in spiritualism. Poor people could hold seances at home and the well-off could go to spiritualist retreats on lakes and beachfronts in the summertime, which I read about. I would have totally gone to one. It's like spiritualist camp, summer camp. Yes. So fun. Sign me up. Mary Todd Lincoln brought mediums to the damn White House (laughs) and held seances for senators and cabinet members. Uh, This shit went all the way to the top. Mm -hmm. Before its fall from popularity in the 1920s, which, you know, we're going to get to, Mm -hmm. the spiritualist movement had impacted thousands of people. It's hard to say how many people were involved in the movement because, I mean, they were fucking unorganized, you know? Well, yeah, and I think just researching the Fox sisters, a lot that they know about the Fox sisters is just based on, like, their personal correspondence and newspaper articles and periodicals that were released by journalists who saw their seances or joined their seances. So, I mean, it's not like they, it's it's not like, you know, you go through Catholic church, church records and they have yeah. a record of 
uh, births and deaths and mm-hmm. children and and marriages and divorce. so it's like it wasn't there wasn't a detailed record kept yes also because it's so loose some people still maintained their christian belief mm-hmm. and had overlap absolutely so you could be you know there's all of these different shades of spiritualism Basically. Well, I think that's why it's so, and I keep fucking saying this word, but I can't think of a better word to describe it. There was a ton of intersectionality with mm-hmm. spiritualism because you had movements of the time that kind of were woven in with spiritualism and spiritualists themselves and mediums themselves. And then you also had, you know, ministers and reverends and Christians who just wanted to hear from their loved ones that had passed on and like Mm -hmm. you said kept their christian beliefs intact while having a seance with the medium yeah so you could you could kind of adopt certain things and not lose your your right you could believe in spiritualism but not you know lose sight of your own identity Mm -hmm. or spiritual identity really Mm -hmm. and spiritualism and spirituality are two totally different things Yes. By the way. Good. That good clarification. The modern day researchers estimate that during this time, there were like anywhere from between 100,000 to maybe upwards of 10 million believers. Yeah. During the time frame that we're talking about. Yeah. I'm not, I, I would think that would be an accurate estimate. So before I shut the fuck up and let Cassie <laughs> take over, uh, I just wanted to say like, I don't want to you know, seem like I have too many boners or wops or whatever for the movement because it definitely does have its faults. There were obviously frauds, hucksters, whatever, amongst mediums. And I just think that's because once something becomes popular and more importantly lucrative, those people just come out of the woodwork. Yeah, I don't think that we need to cancel spiritualism because some people took advantage of it. I mean, as a whole, I feel like as an umbrella idea, it was great. And some of the the leaders of spiritualism did really great things and were friends with really great, you know, leaders of movements that changed future generations' lives. So... Look, I, I nothing is perfect. If we look for perfection, everything is ruined, you know? 100% what you said. The movements that they align themselves with mm-hmm. make me think that the movement was great regardless of these bad apples. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let the bad apples ruin the bunch. Fuck right. that. <laughs> right. I mean, aside from, you know, the social movements that, that they supported and they, they helped and it, that was awesome, I also don't make it my aim to judge people on their spirituality as Mm -hmm. long as they are not hurting anybody else. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm like, screw you to the liars that took advantage of people, but everyone else, titties out, I love it. (laughs) Titties out, I love it is how I'm going to live my life from here on out. (laughs) Tiffany is a lot more forgiving than I am. I absolutely will judge you, but I am a more of a judgmental person. I'm open about it. I will not uh, sneakily judge you. I will just outright judge you. Tiffany is much more forgiving than I am. Open-minded. Basically, my point 
or my where I'm coming from is is I am in no way condoning frauds who manipulate manipulated people who were like mm-hmm. mourning a loved one, right? You know these assholes were just trying to fucking take their money, right? But at the same time, I also don't really feel bad that a crowd accidentally watched a woman giving a speech because they believe she was <laughs> a mouthpiece for a spirit, right? Yeah, I like I said, nothing is perfect. Nothing, nobody, no human, no movement, nothing is perfect. And if we look for perfection, we are going to be disappointed every time. And I I like to believe that for every fraud, there were twice as many good people. That's that's what I want. That's what I'm into. Yeah, yeah I like it. Okay, so that's where I'm going to leave off on the history. I'm going to okay. pick it back up at another time. All right. And I'm ready to learn a little bit more about the Fox sisters. Okay. Well, I just want to say, speaking on the Fox sisters, when I was in high school, there was this girl and she, I don't know, just seemed like more mature than everybody else. And she one time called, we were like, I don't know, freshmen in high school, I think. And she called like one of the cute popular senior guys a stone cold fox Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason just that was has been seared into my brain so every time I you say it I do I just it was so cool like it is a stone cold fox like I mean obviously like a 15 year old saying that is not cool very cool but it was just so cool you know it was like you know it's like a moment out of those like iconic coming of age high school movies like fast times at ridgemont high or dazed and confused it was just like one of those real life movie main character moments you know and so like i just had a really nice flashback researching this because of that <laughs> like on clueless when he says nice stems yes Isn't that what he says is not that what he says <laughs> <laughs> yeah watch, so, I'm, watch I'm misquoting it <laughs> did he say nice stems <laughs> daddy it's a dress <laughs> um okay so the sources my source for this is the talking to the dead by Barbara Weisberg it I recommend this book it's I read two books actually And I'm not going to cite the other one. I didn't use any information out of it or quote it. Um, Just wasn't my favorite. So I'm not going to name it. I didn't actually care for it. So I'm going to just, I didn't, I I ended up not using the information out of that. And just to, you know, if I don't have anything nice to say, I'll say nothing at all about it. Very kind of you. Yes. So maybe I'm not so judgmental after all. I don't know. I'm, I go back and forth. I'm a roller coaster of feelings and emotions. <laughs> okay, so in the winter of 1847, a blacksmith by the name of John David Fox moved his wife, Margaret, and the two youngest daughters of their six children to rural New York a town, in a, to a town named Hydesville. Margareta, known as Maggie, who was 14, and the elder of the two, had dark hair, a broad face, and sincere brown eyes, and she was described as slight but sturdy. Catherine, called Kate, she was 10. She was also slight, not as sturdy, kind of slim, frail, with black hair and ambiguous eyes because some people say her eyes were a deep purple 
and others say they were gray, and some say they were black. They were definitely not purple. <laughs> Those people were drunk. They they that was before glasses. <laughs> well, oh, oh, or before people knew what colors were called. They're colorblind. It's fine. <laughs> Both girls were considered beautiful for their time. It seems as though John Fox and Margaret Smith met and fell in love, and it was a story of opposites attracting. John, a brooding, inward-thinking, thin, wiry man, would kneel every morning for prayer and had a pretty much a permanent scowl on his face. (laughs) Margaret was warm and bubbly. She was a social butterfly. She was even opposite in appearance with a large bosom and a double chin, which I say affectionately because I think I like Margaret Fox. She sounds awesome. I want a hug from Margaret Fox, I feel like. The Fox family was a close-knit family, and therefore they were looking forward to the move to rural Hydesville because David, their son, was a farmer just a few miles away in Arcadia. Arcacia. Arcadia. Sorry, New York. Oh, my God. And Maria, (laughs) who had married her cousin <gasps> scandalous what <laughs> yeah she married her cousin on her mom's side oh my god i know get it I, together i know i think it was normal you uh was just a few <laughs> miles from david so they were close to two of their other children and leah their eldest of the fox children was 30 miles away in rochester new york elizabeth um the last of the children that survived was the only exception, and she lived in Canada with her husband. A little bit about Hydesville. It was named after Henry Hyde, a doctor. Well, a doctor when being a doctor required no formal education like we were talking about earlier. (laughs) So a loose definition of a doctor. Uh, Hyde settled at a crossroads in 1810. He opened up shop and became a very wealthy man. By the time 1847 came around, Henry Hyde was no longer alive, but his son Artemis Hyde, who was a wealthy man due to inheritance, uh, he was a landowner, and it was him who rented a small farmhouse to John and Margaret Fox while their forever home was being built nearby. The Fox family were the last in a line of many tenants. Hydesville was a kind of place you stayed, but you didn't stay very long. Okay. It was kind of, you know, the next stop before you found where you were going to live forever. Much like Tiffany explained earlier, this was a time when women and young girls were told to govern their passions because anger and excitement and all those, you know, quote female emotions could ruin their complexion (laughs) but beyond cystic acne which is (laughs) like not life-threatening hysteria was a major concern a legitimate concern for women because doctors diagnosed women uh of hysteria and they They said it was a female disease of heightened emotion, and it actually started in utero. I would have been arrested or murdered. Um, I would have 100% been in jail. 
So it was suggested that the safest place for girls and young women was the home uh, being a domestic goddess. So that's just kind of to like kind of mirror what Tiffany was saying, what the times were like for women. Uh, winters and high, well, white women, because black women were enslaved in this time period. So they had it even worse. Winters in Hydesville weren't for the faint of heart. It was snowy, it was icy, windy, and along with that came stormy noises, right? We had clapping boards, we have branches snapping, wind, there's animals burrowing into homes looking for food and a place to keep warm to survive the harsh winters. There was a lot of noises going on. There was old houses, there was, I'm sure, livestock and and shit everywhere, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But at the end of March 1848, the rented farmhouse began to harbor unfamiliar knocks in the night. Thumps on the ceiling, bumps on the walls, and raps on the floor. Night after night, knocking would continue. And on April Fool's Eve, Lizzie, Maggie and Kate's cousin and the daughter of the eldest girl, Leah, was staying over. And this was a night that they began to communicate with the mysterious knocking. The girls would click and clack a certain number of times and the mysterious knocking would repeat exactly. It was said that on Margaret's side of the family, the women were gifted with a second sight, is what they called it. She's like, my grandma was burned at the stake for being a witch. <laughs> yes. Like, seriously, I think I think that she said there were several female ancestors in her family that had this sight. So it wasn't much of a stretch for Margaret to believe that this was a spirit and mm-hmm. not something other going on. Mm-hmm. I feel a kinship to Margaret because I would be like, yep. That's for sure a spirit. Yep. On that it. sounds totally different from an ice cold branch snapping from Mm -hmm. an ice storm Mm -hmm. and leading up into this there was like uh there was all kinds of bumps and thumps in the night and margaret was increasingly you know like getting like what is going on like what is this she was a little bit stressed actually it's all that puberty in that house yeah seriously so this night she sent her husband john to the neighbor about 8 p.m., and the neighbor, whose name was Mary, came over, and she as well heard the knocking. And then she went to go get her husband, who heard the knocking, and then he went to go get something, someone else, and then another and another and another. And by 9 o'clock, there was at least a dozen people gathered in this rented farmhouse listening to the thumps and these clicks and clacks and knocks going on. By the end of the night, it was determined that the knocking was being done by a spirit of a peddler who was murdered in the home about five years ago. The the people that were there, the residents of Hydesville began, or the street that the foxes lived on, uh, began to ask the spirit questions about themselves. Um, like, how many children does this family have? And they'd wait for an answer, which was accurate. And then they would ask, well, how many deaths did this family have? Or how many how many children of these people died? And everything came back correct, according to historical documents. Um, so the spirits were answering these questions correctly. I love how in just this first, this first night, uh-huh. they already have so many people on board. 
because this is really indicative of how the spiritualism movement spread like fucking wild fl- wildfire across the United States because it's like you just need one medium in a town and everybody's got to check it out. Well, and you ask a couple questions that, I mean, look, I've never been to a medium, but I could imagine, you know, that you get a couple answers that you're looking for and it is hard to deny Mm -hmm. some connection between something outside of what we know to be true. And then the next thing you know, every freaking town has a medium (laughs) and then you got something to do on Saturday night. (laughs) Yeah. What else are you going to do? So this was super bizarre. I thought all of a sudden all these people for the first time are communicating with this spirit through knocks, like literal like raps and knocks and as if someone was knocking on your front door. And there's just straight up like how many children of the Johnsons died last winter? Like they're just like going in with these questions and and it is bizarre, but it's like confirmed their belief that this was otherworldly that had knowledge that we intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. So within days, hundreds of people went to the, their house. They were inside. They were outside. They were asking questions. They were hearing the knocks like this was it was wild. And then soon enough, someone said in that crowd in the town of Hydesville said, I saw a peddler with a gray coat and a black hat carrying a trunk come to this house five years ago. And then the story was further confirmed by an ex-employee of the family in question who was, believe it was a Bell family. They legit, these spirits pinned a hypothetical murder or real murder on this Bell family. <laughs> the Bell family is just doing the Homer Simpson's backward slide into the bushes. Yes. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yes. So a former employee <laughs> of the Bells came forward and said, Oh my God. Yes, I saw a peddler come to the house on a day I was working, and he was wearing a gray jacket and a black hat and had a trunk. Like every other peddler. Yeah, seriously, world. like every fucking other man from 1848. <laughs> so she said, the day that he came, I was given a few days off. And when I came back, the peddler was gone. But you know what was there? Two coats that were shredded to bits that my <gasps> employer asked me to mend. Ooh. Yes. Some say shredded coats. I say smoking gun. I believe it. Hang the bell family. (laughs) It's all the evidence I need. Oh my God. My autocorrect changed it from peddler to pepper. (laughs) When she came back, pepper had disappeared. So apparently his name was pepper. Um, so, and there in lies the beginning of mainstream spiritualism in the United States, as we know it, it took off from the last April fool's Eve. This crazy phenomenon took over for almost 80 years from the mouths of babes it's it started with children it started with little girls maggie was 14 and kate was 10 14 and 10 or 15 and 11 um 
So, but I just do want to note that spiritualism wasn't invented by the Fox sisters. Ancient cultures all over the world have always tried to contact beyond our yes. world. So they did not invent spiritualism, but it was like they were the kindling that this fire needed to take off in the United States specifically. There were predecessors to the movement. Totally. Well, I mean, and that there's also, and that's just within the American culture. So let's say within the American culture, they were one of the, I feel like the Fox sisters brought it mainstream, but you have the Native American culture and the ancestral spirits, and then you have Japanese culture that has ancestral spirits, and then you have Mexican culture with uh, Dios de Muertes, the Day of the Dead, and there it's the one day that they can, you know, have some kind of contact with the spirit world. So this wasn't a new idea. It was just kind of a spark that started a fire that kind of burned for the next 80 years in the United States and across Europe and all over the world, really. Totally. There I there was a predecessor mentioned in my book. I mm-hmm. probably should have said his name, but <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but he never, I mean, it never took off with him. Right. And that's why the Fox sisters are the Fox sisters, because they were kind of, for whatever reason, they're, they had that, how do they say, je ne sais quoi. Exactly. So Maggie and Kate were obviously at the center of this phenomenon, but if not for their eldest sister, Leah, I don't think the Fox sisters might have had the impact that they did on spiritualism in the United States. So a little bit about Leah, she moved out of the home around 14, and that's when she married a man named Bowman Fish. Oh my God, she was such an old maid. Thank God he took her. I Seriously. <laughs> and I cannot say fish without saying fish dish. I don't know why it's fun to say. I like to say it fish dish. I got to say it. I don't know. And they had a daughter who they named Lizzie, who I mentioned earlier. She mm-hmm. Lizzie was there. At the beginning of it, she was there the night that this all started. And previous, she had been there when they had heard the knocks just within the family. Eventually, Fish realized he actually married a child. (laughs) And he couldn't cope with her immaturity. Um, Okay, well, good on you, I guess, but it's a little too late. (laughs) Then, So what did he do? Oh, so he realized he married a child and his first thought was, I think I have to abandon this child with my child. So he said he was going on a business trip and he never fucking came back. What? Yes. Bowman Fish was a piece of shit. Oh my my God. So, and years later, uh... Leah found out he married a rich widow in Illinois and just like lived his best life. I mean, maybe he was into cougars. Who knows? I don't know why he married a child and then woke up one day and was like, oh, I actually married a child. I'm and sorry. I'm- did you say his age when they got married? Um, No, it did not say his age. Okay. But he was probably like in his 20s. I'm. It was inappropriate for sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, so he left... Leah to raise their daughter Lizzie in a time when that was highly unorthodox. So you have Maggie and Kate. They're 
coming into who they are going to be and they're kind of trapped in this weird and this is so interesting to me uh, just this like kind of dichotomy because here they're like almost suspended in between two worlds so one world they have you know you have to be passive domestic married modest demure you have to be quiet you can't be hysterical you have no opinions you're here you know just to be really at service to your husband or the male counterparts in your life um but then they have leah who is living in the total opposite world where she is independent she is single mother living in a city and she is um she teaches piano to make ends meet and she I think does well for herself she was known to be an incredible pianist and also a beautiful singer and she at some parts in her mediumship when she came into her own mediumship um sometimes sang and played piano and that was a way of like kind of connecting um, with cool. spirits yeah so it was kind of weird Maggie and Kate were like stuck between these two worlds they were like witnessing both happen at the same time it was I'm sure very what is that cognitive dissonance is that the right we have like two conflicting beliefs I don't know so back to um the farmhouse and the knocking and this kind of big stir happening in Hinesville Leah was living in Rochester but she came she became involved when a lawyer turned journalist by the name of E.E. E. Lewis covered the Fox sisters and then went to Rochester to ask her some questions. And she said, wait, what? What the fuck's going on at my mom's house? And she drew a carriage or, you know, for us modern day ladies, got an Uber <laughs> and went to Hydesville to check it out to see if her family was okay. So when she got there, she heard the knocking and it was like a big thing. So she, so her and her mom, Margaret, got together and said, what if we separate the girls? Because it seemed that the knocking was focused around Kate and Maggie. It happened when they were in the room. They were kind of like a conduit for it. Um, they were silent and it, it just, it had, it was centered around them. So people knew like they were what would become mediums. Mm-hmm. So Leah took Kate back to Rochester with her and Lizzie and they thought maybe the knocking would stop if they separated Maggie and Kate and it didn't. It started on the way to Rochester in the carriage. Um, it, it, once they were in Rochester, the raps, the thumps, the footsteps began almost immediately and throughout the night and it just... Actually, in Rochester, it seemed like the spirit almost became like a poltergeist. It was getting very kind of angry and bold and more things and knocks were just happening. Um, there started to be slaps and there started to be like cold entities felt and cold hands waved over faces. Ooh, and freaky. Yeah, it it just started to kind of escalate and there was some apparitions and it it was kind of freaky, actually, like you said. Um, Katie even fainted and became in a trance-like state and recited poetry. Okay, that's also scary. Yeah, I'm picturing like eyes rolled back. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was. It was 
weird for sure. I was reading this part late at night and I was like, I got to just like, oh, the hair is on my neck stood up and I was like, okay, I'm done. You just heard, bah, in your backyard. <laughs> Fucking terrifying. It's the sheep. <laughs> um, sometime later, Maggie had joined Leah and Kate in Rochester. And this was about the time one of the first seances on record took place. And this is all recorded through correspondence by a man named Reverend Clark. Reverend Clark was traveling on business in Rochester and he stopped by to visit his close friends, the Grangers. Okay, so this there's more people coming in at this point, so it's going to be a little bit complicated, um, so just kind of keep up. Will do. Firstly, Mr. Granger. So I thought this was really odd. I mean... It's kind of cool, but a little bit odd. So Mr. Granger invited Reverend Clark to platonically sleep with him the night that he was visiting. All right. Uh, so, boner alert. <laughs> do I think, do I feel like more men should show platonic affection towards one another? Absolutely, 100%. Um, but do I think it's bizarre that you have a friend come over and you're like, hey, man, why don't you sleep in my bed tonight? But they're not even, I mean, are they friends or are they just acquaintances? No, they are good friends. Oh, okay. They're good friends. So Mr. Granger and, and, and they Reverend. they were dating. They were both, well, they could be. I mean, they were both married, but okay. So Mr. Granger then invited, well, I did some research into this and it found, I found out that this is actually totally normal for men to do with one another because it usually meant that they just wanted to talk privately. Which just seems like a lot of work just to have a private conversation. I just kind of feel like people weren't allowed to be them true selves back then, which is fucked up. And I think maybe something else was going on, but I don't want It was wanna... maybe a little bit of pillow talk. But I don't want to... <laughs> It's not my place to expose other people's business, but I'm I mean, we definitely maybe that's... don't want to out the Reverend, Reverend, <laughs> Reverend Clark and Mr. Granger, but I mean, I'm I look, saying maybe that's why it was so normal because people could not be themselves, which is fucked up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Okay. So here's the thing. I just put myself in the situation. We come, my husband and I come to visit you and your husband mm-hmm. and you say to me, why don't you sleep with me in my bed tonight and our husbands mm-hmm. can sleep, I don't know, in the spare bedroom? I just think that's – would I say yes? Probably. <laughs> I <laughs> have actually kicked my husband out of our own bed and I've had a friend sleep in there and he had to sleep on the couch by himself before. So maybe I Okay. Maybe All I right. Well, I, as feminine – beings I feel like maybe that's not as taboo as two platonic males saying that to one another but I feel like I like it either way whether it was pillow talk or platonic private talk I kind of like the idea that men were just okay with sharing a bed and it wasn't anything weird or gross but I did find that odd and when did we stop doing that we should maybe get more into doing that I agree um but okay so they were all cozy in bed wearing their nightcaps. I imagine mm-hmm. them wearing the nightcaps. Mm-hmm. And little nightshirt dresses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So cute. Also smoking a pipe in bed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Mr. Granger says to Reverend Clark, 
my oldest daughter has been in contact. Uh, Which doesn't seem weird, but Mr. Granger's daughter, Harriet, was dead. Oh. Yes. um, She was actually murdered. (gasps) By the Bell family also? No. Okay. I would not be surprised if the spirit said it was the Bell family because (laughs) the spirit is messy. You will come to find that spirit is very messy. He was spilling all of the tea, and I think... Down with He's the lucky he did not get fucking sued. Okay, so, but what happened was Harriet was supposedly poisoned by her physician husband. <gasps> he was take he was arrested, tried in court, and apparently he was acquitted because of a rigged jury. The jury was like, she was hysterical. Give her rat poison. That's the only way to fix it. <laughs> yes. Oh a little uh, yes so little arsenic yes so the spirit said like in fact the husband did murder her like i said he was messy so um granger goes on to tell reverend clark that they have been communicating with harriet through um these mysterious sisters a friend of friends of his wife um and they go by the name of fox So Reverend Clark, being a reverend, was so offended by what he thought was blatant fraud, he demanded to be part of a seance. So it was actually, this is kind of how seances took hold, is they started, it's so interesting to read this story and watch this thing grow from one thing to another, to bigger, to bigger. So during this seance, um, they were at the Granger's in the Granger's parlor um, and they asked questions about the peddler who was murdered back in Hydesville. They asked questions about Harriet and they asked, are we speaking to the peddler? Are we speaking to Harriet? And they would, you know, kind of, and it was all responded in with a series of knocks. So like um, one for yes, a no knock or silence for no. Um, It was very rudimentary at this time. So at one point, everybody scooted back from the table and the table was pushed back and forth by unseen forces. And two more seances took place over the next two nights. And after that, it became kind of a regular thing. And they were called spirit circles, seances, or sittings. And people that participated were really just people who were friends of friends or who were interested in communicating with someone from beyond so it wasn't kind of like this open yes word was spreading but it wasn't like an open forum kind of thing mm-hmm. um definitely and, evolved from very simple to very intricate yes yes so as the seances went on friends of the fox sisters thought maybe the spirits needed because the spirits were sometimes very restless or what they considered maybe tense or angry, but I think they were construed as angry because the answers were so inconsistent. But the answers were inconsistent because there wasn't a consistent system in interpreting. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, so they kind of came up with a clear way to communicate. Um, th- the communication started with somebody would call out the alphabet 
And when they got to a letter, they would knock. They would hear a knock. And that would signal to use that letter as part of the answer. So sometimes it would spell out a a name or sometimes it would spell out a sentence or, you know, so that's kind of how they started to get more directed answers or more specific answers. Oh, my God. It's like the old fucking telephones. Oh, it probably took hours. I'm sorry. I don't have time for this. What are they called? Yeah, like the dial, the rotary phones. Rotary phones. I couldn't think of it. Yes. Literally like a rotary phone. Yes. And by the end, it was fucking high-speed internet. That's yes. how much it changed. <laughs> Seriously. So Barbara Weisberg in, her, in the book wrote, quote, three raps indicated yes, five signals, a demand for the alphabet, and silence or a single rap or knock meant no. So if there was like five knocks, that meant spell out the alphabet, and then they would knock on each letter that was supposed to spell out the answer to the question they were asking. As the word of the Fox sisters began to spread, there was, like I said before, an intersection between women's suffrage and uh, the abolition of slavery. And all this was really taking place in New York, just 40 miles from Rochester. So they were physical geographic proximity. They were so close. And I think that's one of the reasons that they became so intermingled because they Mm -hmm. were just physically and socially intermingling. Mm -hmm. So most abolitionists were feminists and most feminists were abolitionists. I say most because some feminists weren't abolitionists. And I think it's important to note that if we're going to talk about these movements, that while there were similarities between enslaved people's lack of rights and women's lack of rights at this time, enslaved African-American women endured so much worse than even freed African-American women and especially white women because in the North, when black women were freed, they were not only subjected to sexist prejudice, but they were subject to racist prejudice. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to note that while, like Tiffany said, most were aligned, there were some, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that were feminist, but they were white feminists. But the women that we're talking about specifically involved with the Fox sisters were abolitionists. Most of them were, their houses were stops on the Underground Railroad. So they were absolutely intersectional feminists with abolitionists and feminists. So I thought that was really fucking cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it's really cool too. And thank you so much for saying what you said about enslaved people at that time I it's so important that we talk about that too well well, yeah we need to acknowledge it because the feminist movement while it is good it was super flawed when it came to black women and enslaved women versus white women or any women of color yeah yes true native women for sure yeah indigenous women so abolitionists and feminists came together and it was in 1948 in new york the seneca falls convention one of america's first women rights gatherings happened and this was like this event basically was one of the events that would forever change the history of civil rights and women's rights and um in the united states and what was so cool is because it was so close to rochester 
they just all, like I said, intermingled and they just all became friends. And it was so fucking cool. I want to be a part of this group. I mean, it's this like is the crowd the I want to hang out group. with. Talk about who I want in my hot tub. Okay. So this brought Frederick Douglass, Elizabeth Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Amy Post, and Abigail Bush, some of the women's suffrage and the abolitionists of uh, their time, like heavy hitters of these movements to the Fox sisters seances. Like how fucking cool is this? So the Leah actually working as a vessel for the spirits told Frederick Douglass that his newspaper, the North Star, was going to be successful. And so Maggie's cool. good friend um, and kind of her mentor, um, she, Amy Post, she ha- was a prominent stop on the Underground Railroad in Rochester, New York. And they, so what's cool about the Fox sisters that, you know, they're controversial and we'll get to that at the end of this series, why um, some people like them. And, but I, and some people don't, I personally like them because they weren't just mediums for these famous feminists and abolitionists. They were friends and they believed in the movement and they were part of this movement. And uh, I think that's really cool. I think that's really cool. It is really cool. And it's really important. And that's why we're covering this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So Not just for the spooky ookies, but for the yeah. fucking historical importance. Yes. It was a big fucking deal. Yeah. So, and side note, Quakers were fucking badass. Oh my God. There's so much Quaker stuff in my book too. Dude, uh, Quakers get this rep- have this reputation for being like staunch and square and... They were they fucking did a hardcore so abolitionists. Yeah. Like, they were badass. I will never look at oatmeal the same. It is the breakfast of fucking champions. <laughs> Who needs Wheaties? <laughs> okay. All right. Woo, I'll get off my soapbox. Anyways. It's a fun soapbox to be on, though. It was I've pretty I've been cool. so ramped up all week. That's why Cassie... Uh, was making fun of me and saying that I'm a lady boner because my texts were very sexually aggressive. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so in 1849, the suggestion of seances on a public scale was mentioned. The sisters were nervous. They didn't want to be ridiculed uh, for their beliefs because this has only been on a small scale of like a close knit circle of like people they trusted and friends of friends who they trusted. Yeah, they had... You know, people that came and wanted to had initial doubts about mm-hmm. it, but there wasn't anything on a huge public scale, nothing aggressive. It, you know, so they were nervous. Uh, with the help of a man by the name of George Willits, who was in charge of the business end, and Elab Capron, I hope I'm saying that right, who gave an opening lecture to the beginning at the beginning of their seance. Um, they got, they, they rented a hall. They rented, um, Corinthian Hall in Rochester. And on November 14th, 1849, the Fox sisters held their first public seance. And for 50 cents, you would, you, it would admit one gentleman and two lady companions. And that just shows you right there how much (laughs) women were worth twice as less as a man. (laughs) And also, it's like, 
Why does he get two dates? I don't know. I'm, I have to take you and your best friend. It's <laughs> it's a three. It's a three. It's the rule. We have. It's, I have to bring two women with me, or else I can't get in. Thruple, thruple prices only. <laughs> yeah, I feel like what the fuck, man. Okay, we all have to kiss at the end too, or else the seance doesn't count. They, it's on the back of the ticket. I'm sure he said something fucking pervy <laughs> like that too. Um, needless to say, the seance did not go over well at all. Most of the Rochestersons, Rochesterians. Mm-hmm. Most of the the people who went the Rochies, yeah, the Rochies. <laughs> oh, that was such a loud laugh. Uh, <laughs> were outraged by what they thought was fraud, and they demanded the Fox sisters be put to the test. So they formed this committee, and I'm not going to say the names of the guys on the committee because they are not relevant to the story by name, in my opinion. But what they did to these women was totally unacceptable and violating and it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Um, And I think they set out to make these girls uncomfortable. And mind you, this was a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old. And Leah was much older. I believe she was about 20 years older because she was the oldest. Because, side note, a little hot goss, uh, Margaret Fox and John Fox had children in the beginning, they had their four children. One passed away. Um, they had Leah, Elizabeth, Maria, and David. And then they separated for a bit. John Ooh. John got a little squirrely and he had uh, issues with alcohol. So Margaret was like, peace out, dude. And she moved in with her sister. And, um, and then they came back together. John had a coming to Jesus moment and he came, they came back together and had Margaret and Catherine or Kate. So Maggie and Kate. Mm, So they were the two little ones. There's about 20 years difference between, um, Maggie and Leah. And that's why. Hmm. So, um, these men put the sisters on, they had to stand on tables and they examined their bodies uh, and their clothes and between their skirts. And they tied cords to their wrists and ankles and pulled. And they examined their feet and their hands and their faces. And it they just were, I think they intentionally tried to make these girls uncomfortable. Sounds um, like it. Yeah. And they had, it was a series of tests over three days. And they re- um, re they changed up the committee each time well Mm -hmm. the next day they were taken to a room by because at first the men were absolutely gonna have them strip and they were gonna search them and they yeah they became distressed and were like no so then they had women a group of women take them into a room and un- have them undressed and they check their bodies and their clothes. And the girls were so upset. They were visibly shaken and they started to cry. They actually started to cry so loudly that uh, Amy Post, fucking badass Quaker, who basically stands up for people. Amy Post is like my new hero. She barged into the room and was like, oh, fuck, no. Crack you some get, skulls. Yeah. Get your hands off these girls. Leave this room. And she helped the girls get dressed. And she's like, this has gone too far. Nudity back then was 
so I different mean, than now. They, that was traumatizing for them. Yes, sure. and they were even talking about how even the men examining their ankles and feet was like was kind embarrassing. of yes, because it didn't ankles show that back then. No, that'd be like now if a guy's like, just let me see one nip. Let me see your taint. Like, just let me see your butthole. Like, real quick, seriously. Just real quick. <laughs> I mean. The ankle yeah. is the butthole of the leg. Everybody fucking knows that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Common knowledge. Uh, so this went on for three days and they would, like, change the venue without telling the sisters so they couldn't, like, possibly go ahead and, like, plant some clicking sounds and stuff. But whatever. At the end of the three days, they found no evidence of fraud, and they had no choice but to release their findings to the public. So they uh, were very traumatized, and that produced a lot of threats um, towards the girls. The um, They had to end up staying with Amy Post for a while because the public was really outraged. They just, I don't think, were ready for it, the general public. And um, the girls were scared. They yeah. were scared. They um, refused to go to the last seance they had um, at Carnithian's Hall. But Amy Post actually talked them into it. She said, okay, actually, you don't have to go. I will go in your place and I will sit in solidarity. And then um, Leah was like, well, if you go, I'll go. And then Maggie said, well, Leah, if you go and you're brought – to your demise, then I can't let you do that without me. So they ended up going and there was like public outcry Aww. and they received threats and it, it was not good. So Elab Capron, who is the guy who read their introduction, he kind of was the one who introduced the idea of the girls going to New York City. Like, let's take this show on the road. Um, but with the backlash of Rochester still fresh, Margaret, their mom, and the girls refused. Um, they refused to go anywhere or do any more public seances. Uh, but after a few months of keeping a low profile, the girls felt safe. And by April 1850, they rented the Corinthian Hall again in Rochester. But this time, instead of Capron reading the intro or the opening lecture, it was R.P. Ambler, and he was a universalist minister. And I don't know what changed. Maybe it was the approval of R.P. Ambler, who was a popular minister. Maybe it was the passage of time. But the reception of the girls was strikingly different this time. Uh, And it just kind of, I don't know. It was, I don't know what happened in between that time, why the public was more accepting. I, I don't know. Maybe they just needed a minister to be part of it and kind of endorse it. I don't know. Ease them in. <laughs> yeah. They needed, uh, yeah, I don't know. So what began as quiet clicks and thumps in a small rented farmhouse catapulted these three young sisters from small town obscurity to celebrity status performing across the world but as they say in hollywood in show business what goes up must come down and um, later in this series we'll talk about the death blow to spiritualism and the downfall of the fox sisters and that's where we'll leave it that's a wrap that's a wrap that's where we're ending this episode so our next episode we are going to cover a few more mediums in the movement Mm -hmm. should be a 
saucy, juicy episode. Mm -hmm. And then we'll wrap it up with, as Cassie said, the end of the spiritualism movement, the Fox sisters. They're very intertwined. They're very important. That's why we had to include them in this first episode. Yes. But um, yeah, I'm so happy to be back. And I'm so happy that we came back with a bang with this fun little series. I think it's going to be great. Oh, we're also going to have a one and done thrown in there, right? Yes, 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 of course. You know, we can't be serious. Yeah, you know, we can't be serious the whole time. We have to have, this was our version of serious and we said boner alert. We said everybody knows the ankle is the butthole of the leg. So this is, this was our serious episode. So Mm -hmm. we got to do some one and done so we can get a little goofy too. Yes. So if (laughs) you like goofy, stay tuned for some one and dones and Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so thank much you, for being patient. You. And if you're new here, thank you so much for giving us a shot if you're, we stayed all the way to the end. And, you know, like we say at the end of every episode, love yourself, lock your doors, and light some sage. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs>